At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to tune into our current series, Built for More, Church Beyond the Weekend, where we will see what the Psalms teaches us about how life is enriched when we live and serve in community with our church family. Last week, we started our Christmas series. Pastor Chris, he, he taught us about Mary, that misunderstood girl from that misunderstood place of Nazareth. Um, today, we're going to experience Christmas from a different lens, from Joseph, her husband, Joseph, that guy who doesn't talk much. In fact, he, he doesn't speak at all in the Bible, in any of the gospel accounts. He doesn't say a single word like most of you men, right? But that's the experience we're going to learn from today. Um, open up our Bibles. Open up your Bibles. Matthew chapter 1. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Would you read it with me? Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, just being a man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill the, what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, what we see in Joseph's experience here is that true faith results in a righteous response. True faith results in a righteous response. I just want to let you know that's what we're trying to learn from the beginning, right? If you're a follower of Jesus and you say, I have faith, it must, must, must lead to a righteous response. Not just a response, but a righteous one. And the difference between a, a, a response and a righteous response is this. A righteous response filters situations and circumstances through the perspective of God and then do what he would do. Right? To execute the way God would, with the same mercy, grace, and love. And in fact, that's what living in faith is. Right? But I'm going to tell you something crazy about all of that. The, the crazy thing about that is, it's impossible to do something uncharacteristic of ourselves, isn't it? Having a righteous response, to respond like God would, is not within us to do so. We don't respond that way. We're not built that way. We don't think that way. We, don't, we, we want to act that way. We want to do those things, but we don't, right? Most of this week, um, my family, we spent our time at this wonderful hotel called Beaumont Hospital. It's right up here at 13 Mile. Um, you know, my, my, my daughter, my two-year-old, she, she had a seizure. And, um, 
you know, we, we, we got to the emergency room soon after she started having the seizure, and, you know, we don't have a history of seizures or anything. But we're there at this very uncomfortable hotel room, and, you know, we're, we're thinking about it. We're thinking about what got us here. You know, because earlier that morning, she was just fine. She was getting ready for a play date. She was jumping up and down, you know, playing with her toys. And then when we got to the hospital and you're holding your only daughter and she's convulsing, she's convulsing and the doctors keep asking you the same questions. And you've repeated yourself at least 50 times to about 50 different people. You get a little indignant, just a little bit, right? Just a little bit. And I mean, I'm already super type A to begin with. It's like, why didn't you take notes when I told you the first time, right? <laughs> My child is purple and blue, do something, right? And, and I mean, you know, you, you, you watch your only child writhing in pain and then convulsing, and, and you, you go and, and you, you tell the same story over and over again, hoping that they would figure it out. That wasn't a righteous response, was it? Uh, I can tell you I had a few choice words for the doctors and the medical team there, right? And, and I mean... But that, that's human nature. That's what we do as people. No matter how much we say we believe in Jesus or how, much, how great our faith is, when we're faced with a crisis, we hardly see our faith show up. But on the flip side of all of that, there were all of you who, who texted and prayed and looked at the situation and said, this is what we're going to do for you. You started encouraging Michelle and I. You, you started to bring care when we didn't want it, when we had no reason to receive it. You were patient, and then you kept coming back over and over to carry our burdens. That was the righteous response. And, and as Michelle and I, we, we were praying at the hospital, you know, asking God, what, 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 what went wrong? What did we do? What, what do you what are you doing? What, what's the point of all of this? God started pressing on my heart, started challenging my faith, what I say I believe. Kate's not just your child. She's not just Michelle's child. She's my child first and foremost, God said, right? The response God was pushing us to was to release her into the hands of her heavenly father, to do things that doctors can't do. And he would do so if we would pray, if we would pray and let go into his hands. But how hard is it to let go of something that you cherish and hold dear? And so as we release Kate into prayer, into intercession, she woke up a few days later being able to speak and walk she wasn't able to do that. The anomalies that the doctors found, they're going to continue to be anomalies. They have no reason. They have no understanding of why. What they do know is she's better today. But I believe that it's not because of anything that we did, but everything that God had done to intervene on our behalf as part of his plan for us. He reached into our daughter's brain and rearrange stuff that she, so she can have another chance to come back to the semblance of life. 
right? And I'm sharing this with all of you, not, not because, you know, I'm proud of my irresponsibility or my lack of faith, but I'm sharing this because when time comes and when it's most critical, what we do is what we find ourselves is we don't respond in faith. We don't respond righteously. We respond like if we didn't have a God who loves us. And this is exactly what's happening in the story with Joseph. When we consider our own lives, right, many of us, we're only here in this building or watching online because God intervened in some shape, way, or form. Your mom prayed for you and didn't stop. Your grandfather kept prodding you. A friend drags you. Your spouse keeps talking to you about this, and it continues on and on and on because we don't have the faith required to make a righteous response on our own. It's not within us. God intervenes. God intervened, and he, continue, he will continue to intervene in our lives, and that's not a fluke. You see, that's who God is. Our Father, that's who he is. He intervenes, and he gives us the righteous response when we have none when we're left to our own devices. That's what we learn from Joseph here. You see, Matthew lays out a lot of context in verses 18 and 19. I want us to look at it again because this is important for us to catch. Verse 18, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. You see, Mary was engaged. Her families, their families had talked about this engagement. You know, and when they talked about this engagement, she wasn't pregnant. What Matthew is trying to impress upon us was, at the time of the actual engagement, she somehow became pregnant. You see, now now Joseph, he's sitting on the other end of this. And we have the convenience of looking at it on this side of history. But when you're Joseph and you're like, hey, this woman that I'm supposed to marry is pregnant and that baby ain't mine, you're freaking out. <laughs> he, he's messed up in the head, right? Like you, that's the normal response, right? What am I going to do with her? And the Jewish response at the time would have been simply, go find the biggest rock you can because she cheated on you and start hurling it as hard as you can. In fact, that's what most of us would have done, right? I mean, we, we, we find ourselves here, and Joseph, he doesn't do that, though. He doesn't do that. In fact, what he says in verse 19, what Matthew says, he resolved himself to quietly divorce Mary. This is a big deal. This is a big deal because Joseph didn't have to do it that way. And what Matthew says is he was just. He was just. It it tells us how Joseph observed the law of God. See, he could have stoned Mary and said, well, she cheated on me. Let's just be off with that. But he he, he said, let it fade. Let it fade into the darkness. I'm not going to put any more shame than what she has to carry already, being a single mom in the first century. Right? But that just shows you how Joseph isn't like most of us. He wanted to do the right thing. And I know most of us, we want to do the right thing. And I know some of you are judging Joseph right now. Well, if he was really a just man, a righteous man, then he would have married Mary and he would have raised Jesus as his own anyway. But guess what? That's a lot easier said than done. And none of you in this room would have done it. So stop 
judging him, right? I mean, that's the honest truth, right? Like, he, he didn't cancel Mary. That's the bottom line, right? He did this at his own cost. I mean, how many times do we hear of hypocritical Christians, right? So unforgiving, lacking mercy, so unloving, right? I, I, I know that this is a thought, and you're like, no, 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 but you judge them. In fact, you judge the person who parked way too close to the yellow line that you can't see in the parking lot outside. You had to squeeze your belly in to get out of your car. Why they park so close? They're lucky this is church, right? I mean, but this, this is what's happening, right? This, this is our society. That's our normal response. The story doesn't end there with divorce, and that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus was born of Mary, and Joseph was there as part of the story. Let's pick it up again in verse 20, because this is where it gets real interesting. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see, remember what I said in the beginning, that we're incapable, incapable of making the righteous response, and that God has to intervene to help us. This is exactly what's happening here to Joseph. You see, because Joseph already made up in his mind that how he was going to handle this. He was going to divorce Mary quietly. That was the right thing for him to do in his mind. But God had other plans. He had other plans. And what, what this shows you is that he wants us to consider how God's plan intersects with our own plans. Right? God is trying to get Joseph's attention. He's trying to get all of our attentions. When we're in crisis, God is willing to intervene and wants to intervene, but we don't give him our attention. And so maybe it's not a dream, but in some shape, way, or form, God is trying to say, I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And so we fail to call on God and ask God for his plans, and we do stuff out of our own volition. And where does that leave us? It leaves us out of the plan of God. But when you invite God in and say, God, what is the plan that you have for me in this crisis? God is willing to share more than just the plan. He's willing to give us confidence to trust that plan. You see, when we ask God into our lives, we have to trust the plan of God for our lives. And the reason we have to trust the plan of God is because God's plan has the perspective of eternity. You see, in verse 20, when, when the angel starts talking in the dream to Joseph, he starts by saying, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because God already knows what you're afraid of. Joseph didn't know what to do with Mary. That's what he was afraid of. And so he wanted to do one thing, but God starts by saying, my plan is for you not to be afraid. And the reason you're not going to be afraid is because what I ask you to do next, that's going to cause some real fear, right? Right? That's going to require risk. And so what, what we see is God starts with, don't fear, have faith. Take this risk, and I'm going to show you why you should have confidence. This is what's happening. And so the angel continues sharing the plan with Joseph, and it actually gives Joseph the confidence to move forward. 
I know none of us are Jewish scholars or Old Testament scholars, but what the angel is telling Joseph is what all the Jews knew in the first century, and that's that the prophecy for the Messiah to come is being fulfilled, and Joseph's starting to see it. You see how Matthew starts his gospel in verse 1 of this book. He starts by saying, this is the book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And let me tell you what links and connections that the angel is making in Joseph's mind. He's saying, this baby that you had nothing to do with, Joseph, is from the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but his name is going to be Jesus. Right? Isaiah 7, this is the angel quoting Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he's saying, the virgin is going to give birth. Joseph knows he wasn't with her, right? Somehow, nobody had any explanations, but now this woman, he's about to marry, is about to have a baby. And the angel's confirming it. Here, have confidence. Have some more confidence, right? And so the link that the baby is made, right, that the angel makes to Jesus is that this baby is going to be connected to King David, right? Who King David was promised by God to have an heir on the throne forever and ever. This is 2 Samuel 7, right? That's that right there. And then there's a link from David to Abraham, which is from Genesis 12. And it says, you know, to Abraham, this is what God says, that it's going to be through his heirs that the nations will be blessed. And so now this is what's running through Joseph's mind. It's not said here explicitly, but this is what's running. This is what's giving him confidence. It's fueling the idea that this notion, this plan of eternity that God has is real, right? So this plan that angel is sharing, Joseph knew there's 42 generations in the works. This plan is being executed for 42 generations. Can you imagine 42 generations? Thousands of years. And so what we find ourselves and where we find ourselves in the Christmas story, the first Christmas story is we're living Here, we're gathered here because the plan of God, as laid before Joseph, continues to unfold in our lives today because we celebrate Christmas, the birth of Jesus, God's plan for our eternity. That's why we're here, right? We trust that God's love for us is so great that he would give his one and only son to rescue those of us who are perishing. This is God's plan, and God is telling us to trust the plan. Trust the plan. I I want all of you to see this because, you know, when when we start thinking about that, we we start thinking, well, how? Because we we give so, we give our livelihoods to business plans, don't we? Business plans, if if you've got an MBA or you study business or have been in business, you know that a business plan only has like a three to five year shelf life, right? After three or five years, you got to scrap what you're doing and start again. And if you're a really good business and you're a really good strategist, you have eight years. You bought yourself eight years. You can keep on making money that way. If you're a politician, you know that you actually have a plan that works for four years. After four years, that's it. That's your political term. It's over, right? And we stake our livelihoods on these things, three to five years. And so we invest in this digital currency and these digital lands because as soon as you shut off the power, the internet is all gone and we have millions of dollars in our livelihood spent on this. Yet when we look at eternity, we don't give it any thought. You see, God's thought is an eternity, not three to five years, not a political term, but he has our eternity in mind, and this is what God is asking us to trust. I have a plan for your eternity. 
Will you trust it? And so just like Joseph had this plan, God's plan for our lives is unfolding and he wants to share it with us. We have to ask for it and we have to trust it. But it doesn't just end that trust because I think all of us know that in trust that God loves us. What's next is the most critical part of faith. It's to action it. It's to take the plan that we trust or we say that we trust and put into action. We have to obey the word of God. Look, look at verse 24. Look what happens with Joseph. When Joseph woke from the sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You see, Joseph not only trusted God, but he obeyed God. A lot of us know what the righteous response is. We know what we should be doing, but how many of us actually do it? Right? It, his obedience allowed Joseph to participate in the God's plan, to be a footnote in the story of God. If he wasn't obedient, he'd be nothing. He wouldn't even be a mention. But he obeyed. He went against worldly culture, against the wisdom of the world, and obeyed God. He took a huge risk. Huge risk. That's a righteous response in faith. A lot of us, when we started believing, we took a huge risk. We chose to place all of our hopes and dreams in someone we just heard about. Into God. Into a book that we're, we're told this is what happened. And if it wasn't for Joseph's obedience, none of us would be here. It caught it. It needed Joseph's obedience to be here. I mean, just imagine, just imagine if all of us, if all of us were to be obedient to God's plan in the short Advent season, in the short Christmas season, would you see more miracles in this short season than you did your entire life? I bet you would. I bet you would see God move, moving and working more powerfully than you ever knew he could but it takes obedience, right? God calls us to obey his word, period. We don't obey out of convenience. We don't obey because the check boxes are checked and because the stars are aligned. Faith is moving into action. What God says is his plan for our lives, especially, especially when those plans are counterintuitive to what we know and experience, Right? For, for some of us, let, let me tell you what that means for some of us. For some of us, that means we've got to stop giving ourselves to, to that girl or that guy that we met online. Right? Being with the wrong person because guess what? You're hoping to get married, but that person that you just met, he or she is not helping you become a righteous person. He's not helping you have what you're looking for. It's just not it. And in order to be that person that someone wants to marry, you have to be single long enough to meet that person that God has in plan for you. Maybe that's not it. Maybe you're not looking for that marriage, and maybe marriage is not what you're looking for. Maybe you're just looking to, to ditch that porn addiction. You know, you've been staring at your screen so long this week that you feel guilty coming here. And then you're here, and you're trying to delete and erase everything that you have in your mind. Maybe obedience means for you finding a friend to kick you in the butt and say, stop that. Come on. 
Maybe, maybe that's not it at all. Maybe those, those aren't what you have. That, that, that's the problem. Maybe the problem is you keep watching the Instagram and, and the TikTok videos and you have HTTV on all day and you lust for things that rust. God knows those centerpieces are ugly. It's not going to bring you any joy this Christmas. Trust me, right? And I mean, you keep spending your money on these things, but obedience really means to invest your money in something you may never ever see a return on. Invest with that generosity because God will bless others for it. You know, I know a lot of us, we're parents, and what God has been placing in your heart as his plan for you is for you to share your faith, to share the gospel, to share and read the Bible with your children. And every single day, every meal goes by, one day after the next, the next soccer activity, the next basketball game, the next, the next, the next play date, the next party, and your kids still don't know the generational curses that God broke when he freed you and gave you new life. And they have no idea of the legacy, the legacy of faith that you want to leave with them. What a missed opportunity. What disobedience to say that we're stewarding their lives, what God has given us, and yet we don't steward them with our faith. Maybe that's what obedience is for you. Uh, maybe, Maybe that's not it at all. Maybe, you know, God knows why people keep inviting you to parties and things and your coworkers and your neighbors and they keep bringing you around and it's not because of your bubbly personality. You're not that nice, you're not that good looking, right? But there's a righteous response in all of that, right? You need to take a risk in those relationships. They're waiting for you. They're waiting for you to say something because they know you're Christian. They know you believe in Jesus. They know you have a hope that doesn't make sense. And they're waiting for you to hear it. They're they're waiting to hear it from you. Yet you sit on the sidelines. You don't even look to participate in the work of God. Is that where obedience is? I mean, just think about where God is calling you into obedience this season. I mean, Jesus was born to be with us. Emmanuel, that's literally what it means. He came because there was no way No way we would ever go to God on our own. The plan of God was for Jesus to to live this life, to be sinless, to die for us on the cross. He paid the price so that we can have an eternity with our Father in heaven. That's the plan. That's the plan. That's God's plan for us. Why are we twiddling our thumbs? Right? Jesus was obedient to the plan of God. Joseph was obedient to the plan of God. And as a result, we inherited eternal life. Our eternity became secured because Jesus obeyed. That doesn't happen without trust. doesn't happen without obedience. Joseph took Mary, a woman already with a child, and then raised that child as his own. He called his name Jesus because he saves the people from sin. He did as God commanded. That's the plan God has for us, that we would obey the word of God and trust the plans that he has for us. That's the righteous response. That's the righteous response.
Don't fear the consequences of the, the choices that you make, your response to Jesus. Trust it. Move into it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us a plan, your plan for our lives. God, the plan that you gave us is intended to bless the nations through your son. And none of us, God, we would be here without, without you rescuing us, without saving us from the plight of our own selfishness, from our own evil desires. God, we want to thank you for sending Jesus in the form of a little baby, for selecting Mary and Joseph and giving them the courage and the tools that they need to respond righteously. God, and when they took that mesmerizing leap of faith, you honored them. You blessed them and you blessed us as a result. Father, those of us who have not taken this leap of faith, of receiving your son as our savior, God, I want you to move hearts right now. Move minds toward that end. Regardless of the questions that they have or the concerns, God, let them trust in you that by placing their faith in you is part of the plan that you have for their lives. God, on the flip side of that, for those of us who have placed our trust in you, Father, and have not executed our faith in a while in actions, God, we, we sometimes forget that you have plans for us, that you ask us to, to trust you with more. Let us be open-handed with our faith and to move into action into places and things and with people so that we can be completely obedient to you, Father. God, that's what we want in our lives in this season and for every day of our lives to participate richly in the plans that you have for us because eternity is where you give us perspective. God, take the little faith that we have and make mountains shake. Let it tremble beneath your feet. Let us witness your power and glory for it. Let us righteously respond in faith that way. We want to be that type of people, a people you designed in your own image to be radically obedient, to follow you wholeheartedly. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.